Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Thank our worship team. That, that was just... Um... Um, as we were sitting there, I, I, um, and hearing Stacy and, and, and listening to just the profound freedom she's experiencing at this season of her life, and um, I, I heard this little thing inside of me that said, don't mistake, I felt like it was the Lord, you guys can bear witness to it, but he said, I, I, he, he said don't mistake my distinction or my otherness or my distinction for, my, for rejection. I'll say it. So, so sometimes we, when we approach God, he's, we're pretty good with Jesus, I feel like, right? But the disconnect is with the Father many times. And sometimes we get this picture of his otherness, his distinction. He's so, like how could a, somebody that's, like a being that's so other even know how to relate to us? And I felt like he's saying, don't mistake my distinction for rejection. And we'll, I, don't, I think we'll get revelation on that as we go along tonight, but could, could we just pray together as a people? Could we stand to our feet right now and we, all the other campuses? We're just gonna, I believe there's a breakthrough coming as it relates to the Father tonight. It's really fascinating that we, that song, Surrender, my, my title of my message that I originally had titled, I shortened it, I just put the peace, of, peace with God, but the original title was A Covenant Response to Peace with God, colon, Surrender. <laughs> and there's a response that comes when you know you have peace with Yahweh. And so, Father, tonight as we lift our hands, as we stand in your presence, we're asking for the awe of you to get stirred up inside of us tonight where we would just be in awe of you. And, and you said the awe of you is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's, it's the awe of you that creates an ability to understand. And so, Holy Spirit, tonight, would you begin to do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2? He said, what eye has not yet seen, what ear has not yet heard. Come on, can we just press in just for a moment? What, what eye has not seen, what ear has not yet heard, what is yet to actually enter into the heart of, of, of mankind for all those who love him, all that God has actually prepared for you, prepared for us, not what, what they, we've not seen yet with our eyes, what we've not heard yet with our ears, what we've yet to see settled in our heart. I believe tonight, Lord, you want to do some of that. I believe you want to let us see, let us hear, and let us receive in our hearts tonight something that would transcend our understanding. We would understand what it means to have peace with you like never before. And so, Lord, tonight we surrender in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen? Look at a neighbor and tell them you're really, really glad they're here tonight. This is a word for them. It's a word for you. <laughs> If you have your Bible, let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I'm not exaggerating, Pastor Chris. Every time I minister lately, it's been a rainy day. I'm receiving it as a prophetic sign from heaven that the anointing's going to fall. 
Romans 5.1, we're gonna look at a few verses. I was gonna include Romans 4, but we're just gonna go right to Romans uh, 5. And the Lord was reminding me this morning as I was um, lying in, in bed and just, just kinda lying there, just not even really meditating on, on God, just, just thinking and, and wrestling. And, and, and he reminded me of this scripture. And it's a scripture that's like one of my life, how many of you got a life, kind of some life verses that, that at different times God's encountered you through the word of God by the Holy Spirit and, and it just came alive. You know, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is, is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to, to pierce to the depth of thought and intent. And it took me back to this time in my life in 2002. I was serving uh, a church there in Austin, Texas. We had, we had moved from Jacksonville. I had finished playing football and was honestly wrestling through my identity. And uh, I guess the best case God had for me was to try to figure out my identity through pastoring. I would not recommend that uh, to anyone. And so here I am helping lead a people. And at the time, really flowing uh, pretty tangibly in the deliverance and inner healing and praying for people and seeing so many lives get transformed through just the power of God. You know, sometimes the raw power of a God, you need that raw power sometimes just to bunker bust some of the things that have been in our lives. And, and I remember the, the helpless feeling I had of being able to do that for others, even see people have encounters with the Father, and yet still in my own heart feel disconnected. God loves people so much that he will use vessels that are even feeling disconnected from him to liberate others. And, and I'd find myself sometimes going, Lord, why don't you, like, what gives? Your anointing shows up in their lives, but I feel disconnected with you. And, and I'm not trying to be crude, but, but I, I walked into the, the restroom at the church office and I, I, I pulled up to a urinal and, and um, I heard a, a whisper. And I looked around a little bit and was like, this is awkward and strange. And this is what I heard, Brian. When I say I heard, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was just a, a, a sense I had. It was, it was like a gentle whisper. It said, Brian, I've not been angry at you one time in your existence. And I did, I looked around, I was like, the Lord surely can't speak to people while they're relieving themselves. <laughs> and I did, I thought, part of me thought, get behind me, Satan, right? And it was such, it was too good to be true. And it triggered something in me and I went back to my desk and just began to cry out to the Lord and, and he, I just so happened to be in Romans five. And these are the verses I read. And it, it began a process of, of the father beginning to reveal himself to me through his son and by his spirit at a whole other level. And I really do believe tonight that, that God is gonna initiate something tonight in your lives, if you will let him, that you'll begin to go on a journey with the Father, with the Father heart of who he is that will set you up all the way into the age to come, that will set you up for some of the greatest encounters you've ever had with him. And it's just gonna take a willingness to, to surrender 
what, what Stacy was sharing, be willing to let down the guard. And I just get a sense tonight, there's, there's sometimes we put up that guard because, because we're just afraid of, of, of sometimes hearing a no, we're afraid of what that might look like. And I encourage you tonight, don't be afraid. Like, have courage. One of the greatest virtues God has given you is courage. And, and be willing to go courageously into what we're gonna talk about tonight. Romans 5, one through five. We'll read through it and then we'll unpack a little bit. It says, therefore, Paul is just given a brilliant, when you read chapters one through four, but especially chapters three, 21, through the end of chapter four, he's brilliantly unpacking the example of how, how our rightness with God is actually achieved. And it, it's not by works of the law, but it's actually through faith in a person, in a, in a being, and that being being Jesus. And, and so he used the example of Abraham when the uh, God kind of, uh, when the people of God had come together and then God confused their language at the Tower of Babel, he dispersed them and, and he decided to start over with a man named Abraham. And in Genesis 15, Abraham, you, you read about him, he's, he's struggling, he's stuck between a promise and an inheritance. And so he's, he, it says he's in his tent and, and God does something. He takes Abraham outside of his tent and he says, let's dream a little bit together. And so God begins to dream with Abraham, begins to make these radical promises that are, are impossible. That you're gonna, as, as many as the stars of the heavens, so are your descendants gonna be. And he begins to talk about blessing. And, and I can just imagine Abraham, who's, who's really old and his wife is really old and beyond the years of being able to, to get pregnant, sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 that sounds really, really great. Oh, this is amazing. But internally, going, how could this actually be? But yet, something in him, something rose up in him something of, of, of trust and faith, he, he had the courage to actually believe that what God was saying would actually come to pass. And, and in that, in verse six of Genesis 15, it says that God, based upon Abraham's, Abraham's belief in his word of what would happen, that God then imputed or, 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 or credited to Abraham righteousness. You guys remember that? And then Paul uses the example of Abraham to talk to the, the church at Rome and to talk to all believers and say, just as Abraham, a picture who was before the law, before the law ever came, right? Through Moses, Abraham was, and Abraham is a picture of a new covenantal believer of someone that has believed upon Jesus Christ and by no work of their own, They've been credited or called righteous by Yahweh. Okay, so that's a big deal. That is massive. Because every other God, and there are other gods, Every other God demands something from you in order to even to begin to approach being right with them. Right. 
And so my goal tonight is if you're, if you're serving other gods that you switch teams because those gods are demanding things of you that you can't produce. You just never can. You were never designed to do that. You couldn't. Just like God made a covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham asleep as he was making the covenant with Abraham because Abraham couldn't fulfill his side of it. God himself walked through the sacrifice and said, I will not only establish the covenant with you, I'm going to fulfill your end of it. And, and that weird story about God coming to Abraham in Genesis 22 and, and him going, hey, uh, I need you to go sacrifice your, your son to me. Remember that son back in Genesis 15, I promised you I need you now to take him up to a, a mountain and I need you to sacrifice him. Does anybody else find that disturbing? Yet in the Near East culture, it was totally normal to, to, to the only way you could, the best sacrifice you could give a God was ultimately gonna be your son, your, your firstborn. So it wasn't odd for Abraham but, I, but it, I bet it was really hard. And you could sit here and go, what kind of God demands a firstborn child? Exactly. Abraham goes, he gets up there, he ties his son down, his son is carrying the, the wood to, to burn the sacrifice, and he's going, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And, 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 and Abraham just said, just, just, just keep trusting. Then he's tying his son up. You can just imagine the moments they're having. I would have to mute. I would have to, to make sure Isaac couldn't talk because of the torment you gotta, I can't imagine. And he's lifting the knife and all of a sudden, Jesus, Yahweh, he says, stop. And so the answer to that question, what kind of God would demand a child sacrifice? Not ours. Not our God. Our God is the one who provided the, the goat that was in the thicket. It was probably there the whole time. Our God's the one that provides. You understand? And so we serve a God that provides the sacrifice so that you can have peace with him. And what a shame to know that there's something we have in our inheritance called peace with God and, if we're, and, and not to experience it. And so that's what I wanna drill down into because the gospel of the kingdom is massive. It's so robust. And so we're gonna slice it up a little bit tonight and we're gonna take a thinner, we're gonna take a thin slice. Now it's a big one. We're gonna talk about salvation, the starting point of your walk with, with Yahweh, with God. We need to talk about what that actually looks like. Yeah? Because if you can understand the riches of Christ, God is convinced if you'll understand the riches of Christ, you can begin to carry the responsibilities of Christ. But sometimes we miss the riches of our faith. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Romans 5.1, are you guys still with me? You're, you're being a little quiet and it makes me a little uncomfortable. It, it makes me wanna fight. It makes me want to get into physical altercations. I don't know why, there's still something in me. Really, you want some? (laughs) 
Listen, there's a couple devils I asked the Lord to leave with me. One of them was anger. When I was playing football, I was getting prayed over, and internally, I'm not kidding you, this guy was going after my anger, and internally, I'm like, no, Lord, it's an asset to play middle linebacker. Don't get rid of that one. I'm kind of joking. Uh, verses one, therefore, since we've been justified by, by what? By faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So you see, he's going, okay, we have been justified. Let's look at what that word justified means. It means to render, to show or regard, to render as righteous, to declare to pronounce one to be just. Okay, so this God we're talking about, something happened in our existence through our faith in Jesus where there was a public, tangible declaration. You know, when you go get water baptized, it's a public, tangible demonstration, right, of your loyalty to, to Yahweh. We live in a realm where we can see. There's a realm that exists that we cannot see. Paul says our battle's not against flesh and blood. There are powers and entities that heard an announcement the day you got born again, the day you believed upon Jesus Christ and were reconciled back to the Father. The Father himself let out a declaration to all the powers and all the other Elohim and all the other beings. He let out a declaration. They are righteous and they are justified. That is really powerful. The creator declared you were now at peace with him. And not only that, you now have entered into a platform, a place called grace, a place of empowerment to actually now live from. You now live from peace, not having to try to get it. You now live from grace, not having tried to conjure it up. You live from mercy. So this morning when I was thinking through this, the way the Lord was showing me back in the day when I was getting this revelation, and, and you'll see these scriptures uh, in, the, in the Bible, these scriptures like Isaiah 33, 22, maybe we could pop that up. It, it says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, Isaiah 33, 22. And the Lord is our king, he will save us. James 4, 12, James says, there's only one lawgiver and only one judge and he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? He's giving them a little correction about them judging others because he's saying there's really only one that has the capacity to judge righteously. That's why when we enter into judgment, Jesus said, be careful of your standard of measurement when you judge others because that standard's gonna get measured back to you because we are just faulty in our ability to judge. We're really horrible at judging people's hearts. 
aren't we? We're pretty pathetic. He's the only one that knows the intention of another being's heart. And so there's only one judge, there's only one lawgiver. And so Jesus, even in, in some of his examples on prayer, talked about God as a judge. And so peace with God, what does this actually, it's a great legal term, right? Righteous, justified. It's a great mental agreement, like we understand we're, we're at rightness with him. Yeah? But what is peace? What is that shalom? What is that? We, we've seen videos about it. We've seen that, that shalom is completeness, it's soundness. It's not the absence of conflict. It's actually pointing to a greater dimension that instead of conflict, there's something greater there. Yeah? And so we're supposed to live with the understanding every day we wake up, we have peace with God. And that peace wasn't established by anything you can do. It's just something you wake up to. It's a reality. When you look at what peace is in, in the Greek, it, it's to, to, to literally uh, a state of tranquility, uh, a peace between individuals. There's harmony, there's safety, there's security, there's prosperity. The soul is assured of salvation. When you look at the, the Hebrew word shalom, it means completeness and soundness and welfare and, and, and safety and soundness and welfare and health and prosperity and peace and quiet and tranquility. How many wanna have shalom? And so a fundamental building block of your life is peace with God, not the peace of God. That's different. Understanding that you have peace with God. So let's just take a little moment. Imagine you're in a courtroom and there's a judge. Yeah, he's high and lifted up. And you look to your right and there's a prosecutor, there's an accuser. And, and he, he's before the judge and he starts giving all the evidence that, that and, and I'm talking about the, the, the days leading up to your salvation. I'm talking about before you encountered Jesus. How many of you have encountered Jesus in such a way where it was not just a transaction, you, you actually surrendered to the, the goodness of the Father? Yeah, you were made new. And as we continue to move along in this message, there's gonna be some points when you're sitting there as we go along that you're gonna feel a tug on your heart tonight that says, I need you to get out of your seat and actually come down and surrender. You don't have to wait for the altar call for that. I really do believe there's some moments coming in the next few minutes where you're gonna, you're gonna feel this tug that says, I, I need you to, to publicly surrender. And that has nothing to do with whether you're saved, not saved. It's just something that God's gonna do inside of us tonight. And so you've got this prosecutor and, and he starts revealing all the evidence that's stacked against you. He can't read your thoughts, but he surely has all this. He's got video testimony. He's got written affidavits. He's got genealogical understanding of previous generations. He just talks to the judge. He accuses you. He brings everything out into the open. And he says, your honor, based upon this evidence, the evidence of this life, this individual deserves the severest form of judgment, which is separation from you. He deserves to be cut off from your presence and he rests his case. And it's built 
on fact. It's not fiction. He's not making anything up. It's the stuff you've actually done. It's the areas of impropriety financially, sexually, emotionally, all of them. It's all in the presence of the courtroom. And then the judge looks over to you and you look to your right and there's Jesus. And he looks at you and says, my only advice I can give you is just shut up. Don't try to defend yourself. And Jesus remains seated because he's not sweating it. He says, your honor, everything that the accuser said is true. My client doesn't deny any of it. And see, sometimes we live in denial. And the accusations pile up and the safest place to be is to live in denial, to not have to face it. Jesus said on the way to the, the judge, quickly agree with your accuser. Jesus, to your surprise, agrees with the accuser. He goes, your honor, everything that the enemy, the accuser has said is true. In fact, I've got even more evidence that I won't reveal right now that, that speaks to his thoughts. His thoughts were way worse than his actions. Your honor, he's very creative. Once we get a hold of him, he's gonna do incredible things for the kingdom. His thoughts are radically tortured. But then he begins to talk to the judge and he goes, but here's the deal. He, he's, he's actually begun, we're friends. He sits here today broken, has sorrow and it's not worldly, it's real. Your honor, it's real. He, he, he actually believes what he's been told. Somebody, somebody reached out to him. And he's actually starting to believe this. It's, it's, and, and when I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of me the night I showed up at a Bible study. Somebody invited me and when I was put in the place, when somebody constructed an environment where peace could show up, see, blessed are the peacemakers, those that actually construct an environment where peace can show up are called sons of God. And I walked into an environment that had been prepared for the peace of heaven to hit. And Jesus is going, this guy believes. He actually has put his faith, he, he's, he's, he, he's put his faith in me. And Jesus begins to show the, the evidence of your honor, this is me back at the cross. The evidence I bring before you is I, I died for him. I, and this is me when they put me in the tomb. And this is me when I walked out of that tomb. And your honor, I wanna remind you of your word that says that, that he is actually justified because I've been resurrected. And before he was 
while he was still your enemy, you say you've loved him, and so I just, I just come to the court on his behalf. You see, Jesus, 1 John 2, 1, we can put the scripture up. Jesus, he says, my little children, when you sin, you've got an advocate with the Father. He says, your honor, based upon the testimony of, see, because in the court, when the throne of grace, there's some witnesses there. In the courtroom, there's blood there. There's a spirit there. There's all these witnesses to everything Jesus would declare about you. Sometimes we forget the public declaration that was made on our behalf. And Jesus, your honor, I just, Jesus says, your honor, I just ask that all charges be dropped based upon my testimony. And all I did there was, I couldn't defend myself. I had to yield to the greatness of another, right? And all of a sudden the judge, now this is what I'm talking about. If, if justification is just a legal term, you miss the experience of what peace actually feels like. And I might be a simpleton and I'm not trying to bring God down. Don't, don't, don't think that. I'm not, I don't, God doesn't need to be brought down, but, but we need to see him properly. He is a judge. And he, he, he establishes verdicts based upon evidence. He, see, judgment is just observation over a course of time and then rendering a decision. And even though in the natural, over the course of time, it looks like we have no right to even be in the courtroom, Jesus stands up as your advocate and presents an entirely different testimony. And the judge is, is says, okay, based upon the testimony of all these witnesses, the blood, the spirit, and, 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 and Jesus, he takes the gavel, slams it down, and says, okay, here's the deal. I acquit you of all charges. And he makes a public declaration. Now, what do you think happens to the accuser at that moment? He's totally disarmed. See, the evidence of Jesus disarms. Colossians says the enemy's been disarmed, having nailed all of the evidence to the cross. All the legal requirements that stood against you. See, we gotta start living from this reality, not trying to get, get it. Peace has already been established with God. Then why aren't we experiencing it regularly, often, daily, hourly? Then why is the, the torment that exists in the church, why is the mental health issue just as high as in the world? How can we say the kingdom has come if, if there's still the same divorce rates and the same drug addiction? And the, you understand what I'm saying? What, what makes us distinct from any other human on the planet starts with we have peace with God. We, we actually have peace with him. I understand there's physiological and chemical, I get all that, but there's something even with that. I gotta imagine a revelation on peace with God could help. Yes, 
And the judge slams it down and he goes, I sentence you. Your sentence is life. And not just any life, it's the abundant life. I sentence you to abundant life. And, and then, do you, do you <laughs> and so you're sitting over there just going, what just happened? Like, I'll tell you, that night I, when, when I cried out to God for the, the first time, and my sinner's prayer was, Lord, you better make this real. It has to be real. And I'll never forget walking out with my wife who had also given her heart to, to Jesus. I'll never forget the shalom. Everything felt whole for the first time in 24 years of my existence. I think I was even disturbed in the womb. And that peace marked me. And you're just sitting there, you see the documentation. It's like you're legally acquitted. You're declared righteous. You're free to go. But then you look up and the judge stands up and he gets off the bench and he comes down and he takes off his robe and he puts it on you. He took something that was legal and now makes it an experience and he, puts, he now clothes you in the best robe. And then he hands you a set of papers and you're, you're reading through it and it says covenant. And you just start reading, you're like, you get this, you're a co-heir with Christ, you da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then you get a little bit further and he says, furthermore, if you sign this document today, I'm gonna adopt you. The judge now says, I want you to live with me. That's pretty amazing. He says, if you sign and agree to this covenant that you won't be able to fulfill, but I already have and I will continue to empower you to do it, if you agree to this adoption, I want you to come live with me. Will you put up um, Romans 8, 14? See, there was a gentleman that was helping us as a staff the last few days, and he made a statement. He goes, when you preach, is it more about you? Like, do you want people to be attracted to, to what you're saying, or do you actually want them to have engaged the scriptures in Jesus? Tonight's assignment for me is for you to engage Jesus at another level and 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 the father at a different level. Yeah, because there's a cry inside of every one of us. Romans 8, 15 says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 says a similar thing. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, what? Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. There is a yearning that we try to ignore. It's the yearning for a father. The problem is some of us maybe had some bad experiences with an earthly father or maybe there wasn't an experience with an earthly father and now we're coming to you going, you've got a loving father in heaven. Praise Jesus. But the truth is, what if the absence of an earthly father actually gives you an advantage? See, some of you look at it as a disadvantage. My dysfunctional relationship with my father the father has been training me, has actually been a great asset because now he gets to directly tutor me in things my dad could have never taught me anyway. It's just, it's just that's not just psychology, just looking at it different, that's a reality. You have no need that a man teach you. John says in 1 John 2, 20, later in the chapter, he says the anointing will teach you. You got the anointing that'll start teaching you. The anointed one's in you. He will start, see the Holy Spirit can help you in your hunger for a father. He will connect the dots for you and with you. Remember the prodigal story that Jesus gave the prodigal son and the, the son went to the father and said, I want my inheritance. Basically going, I wish you were dead. Basically saying, I'm done. Give me what I deserve, I'm out. I'm out of your house. He leaves, spends his life, comes to his senses, gets in the pig pen, right? We've all been there. Come to his, his senses. He goes, man, I need to go back home. There's something that's in every human that knows they need to go back home. They need a father. But you can see how conflict and chaos tries to create the illusion that you don't have peace with the Father. And so if, if you don't realize you have peace with him and you start surrendering to the chaos and the conflict, you generally go get peace from something else. Right? Because you gotta have peace. And so even if it's just a moment of peace, it's worth it. Or it seems worth it because peace with God seems elusive. And then you got the replays of the past and the anxiety of the future. You're stuck in depression. You're stuck in anxiety. And you start waking up stressed out. Your gut starts hurting. Your hair starts falling out. You gotta displace your anger somewhere, so you'd usually displace it with those closest to you. There's an internal frustration and 
discontent that starts stirring up because you just forgot that the judge stepped off the, the throne and the bench and put his robe on you and sentenced you to life and just come on home. There's peace here. Right? I mean, it's just, I hate to be so simple, but this morning I laid in my bed and I cried. I would love to see video on that stuff sometime. I just laid in my bed thinking about this, just thinking about how much he loves you, just thinking about, I, I, I would just love for you to have peace with him. The prodigal comes home and you know the story. The dad runs, gives him the best robe, gives him his robe, puts him back in the house, gives him shoes, authority, all the stuff. You know, the judge, when he's, he's talking to you and he's going, man, just sign these papers, just come live with me. Just bring your family into my house. Tons of room. And even though you're free to go, choose to stay. Just choose to stay. Just choose to wake up in Shalom instead of always trying to get it. Just, just wake up in it every morning. Because I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I mean, if you're in my house, I'm not going anywhere. He knows we're prone to, to, to you know, and then you go out and you mess up and you try to sneak back in. And <laughs> Do you see why we live in torment sometimes? We're just scared little kids thinking we're gonna get punished. Most of your anxiety comes from doing wrong stuff. I don't remember the last time I was anxious when I was doing the right stuff. My anxiety comes because I know I'm missing a mark. I know I strayed away. I know there's something, I feel like there's something coming. And then, then, then I tried to sneak back in and, and I realized, man, he saw me coming a mile away and he just made breakfast for me. And you, you understand, it's like you gotta get to the point where, where you, you don't stay away long and there's no point in dumpster diving anymore. The quick hits just, they always fade. Just stay home. Some of y'all just need to stay home. You get restless and you wanna go do something. No, just stay home. Build a platform at home that is, you know, peacemaker. Make a place where peace can stay and be stabilized. Create an environment. You heard Stacy, make a table. All she did was construct a platform where peace could land. Just start being a peacemaker. They're called the sons of God. You want to be called a son of God? Be a peacemaker. Take peace with God and start extending it. But apply it to yourself first. Stop leaving. Just stay home. Take a couple weeks, just stay home. Get used to living in Shalom because I'm, I feel like we're trained by chaos so much we can't stand peace. I think peace torments us. I think we're tormented by peace. 
Not conflict, we live in it constantly. We're tormented by the thought of having to sit still, not, not pick up a phone. We're tormented by peace. And yet we're designed for it. So when you don't feed what you're designed to eat, do you understand if you're not eating off what you've been designed to eat, then you just live, you're just like me with my gas tank, you running on empty all the time, just seeing how many more miles you can get out of it because it's become a fun game. Why would I ever fill up my car unless I've got two miles to go until empty? See, you serve a God that'll speak to you at the urinal. I'm serious, you, you speak to a God that doesn't need everything clean and tidy. Now, that doesn't mean you're, okay? That doesn't mean you don't make it clean and tidy. And so let's just, um, I feel like we're gonna sing that song again, I Surrender, if, if it's possible, even if it's just keys. Um, I feel like this is a savior we could serve and surrender to. I feel like this is a God we could If you're feeling judgment in your life right now and you you believe I'm serious you've you've entered through Jesus Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father but through me if you've taken that course you have peace with God That's not fiction that is your state of being Sometimes we got to respond sometimes we got to we got to create a landing spot for it. Does that make sense? I feel like hunger is a landing spot for peace. I feel like thirst is a landing spot. I feel like desperation is a landing spot for peace to hit. I feel like chaos is actually an opportunity to experience peace. I say we stop running from chaos and we just bring, we see a greater, something superior, replace it. And it starts with surrender. Some of y'all just need to come home. You've been, you've been, I'm talking, you've been straying, you're running on empty, just come home tonight. Some of y'all, man, peace has been so elusive. Just come home. Just, just literally surrender and come home. God's given you a lifetime to make a decision to surrender. I, I would just say, don't be stupid and wait till you're 90. Why wait till you're 90 to get shalom? Why wait for a deathbed to get shalom? Here's what's amazing. You could be 90, cry out to Jesus, get peace with God, die the next day, and you still get the same reward as somebody that served for 90 years. That's what's nuts about that. And, 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 and all of us could go, wait a minute, that dude didn't say yes till he was 90, at 90 years. I said yes when I was 24, and you could get this little, you know, and that's why he says, be careful, whoa, whoa, whoa. You agreed to the wages. Never too late, never too early. Never too late, never too early to surrender. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.